The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was relationships, and Lionshare hosted a track called Making Disciples in the Generations and Vocations. That's where today's audio was recorded. Dave Buring led this track for Lionshare's team, and he's written a great four-page summary of his core teaching on transformation. It's called The Process of Transformation, and it's available for free through our website. Make sure to go online and download this PDF at discipleship.org slash lionshare. That's discipleship.org slash lionshare. So if you've not been in any of our sessions uh, so far, I want to welcome you. My name is Dave Buring, and I have the opportunity and privilege of giving leadership to Lionshare, or Lionshare Leadership Group is our full name, but we go by Lionshare. And we focus on disciple-making in what we call um, kind of the four cornerstones. One is foundational disciple-making. So if Stephanie here leads someone to Jesus uh, today, it helps them kind of in their first 30 days, six weeks of their journey with Jesus to just get their footing. Like, what is this thing? Oh, it's called the Bible. What's this thing? This is the church. It's actually God's family. Oh, okay. It's just helping people get their footing, all right? Then we do formational disciple-making, which would be how do we help people be formed more into the image of Jesus? So with their personalities and their wirings and their interests, they look more like Jesus in their character and in how they walk and live their lives. Then we do vocational disciple-making, which is how do we help people where they serve in society be able to live like Jesus and take people who are followers of Jesus in that area and grow them in the ways of God related to their area of society. Like in our last session, some of you were here, we had the Sweet Tea Trio, which is a new country band. And, um, and two of the girls, two of the three girls were here, and they're, they're kind of like their managers who've been discipling them. And so we just learned, like, what, what are things that artists uniquely be discipled in, or government people, or business people, that kind of thing. Um, and oftentimes in church life, we don't think that way. Like, like, let me throw out kind of a big one here at you, is do you understand our nation is in the condition it's in because we have disobeyed the last command of Jesus to make disciples? So if you don't have people discipled, for example, as a government leader to think, yeah, God really does have a heart for the poor. How are we going to do something about that in our nation? That on my watch, like imagine a president saying on my watch, poverty is going to be eradicated. And it's not just fixing it by giving them food. You do that in the immediate because that's what they need. But you're actually helping them get jobs, get an education, buy their own home and be productive. Would that not be amazing? But if you don't have something like that in someone's heart, they never think that way. It's like, oh, there's the poor. We better do something about them so people vote for us. So if you don't disciple people to think that way, real needs don't get transferred. Hey, Dan, we're going to do that later, so I don't want you to stand there for an hour. So, um, so we do vocational disciple-making. And the last part of our cornerstones is leadership disciple-making, where we focus on taking leaders and shaping them according to God's ways. For example, um, some of you heard me share this in one of the last sessions here. I have a pastor friend of mine who they were starting a building program. And I just asked him out of curiosity, he said, hey, can I ask you a question? He said, sure. I said, did you guys wait on the Lord about this? He said, what do you mean by that? I said, well, you actually kind of prayed and you said, Lord, you know, over a period of weeks and months, are you asking us to do this? He said, no, we just whiteboarded and did the math and thought we should do it. 
Now, we might just need to close in prayer on that one. But you guys, do you realize that's not how kingdom people operate? We seek the Lord. We follow God's initiating. But so often what we do is we just think we can make it like a company and run it like a CEO. No, Jesus is the CEO. We follow his lead. And so we take leaders and we help them, whether they're in homeland security or they're in business or they're pastors, and shape them. How did you, do you lead like Jesus? Okay, these two right here were in our last leadership journey, and now you're like, aren't you most excellent leaders now? Yes. Yeah, yeah, we're, yeah, we're all growing, all right? <laughs> but, but that's one of the things that we do. So this session, which is our last here at the forum, we're focusing on discipling children. And, um, and so I want to begin by sharing a story with you, and then I'm going to introduce my friend Rachel, who's going to come, and we're going to talk a little bit about kids. Um, then I'm going to have Heather, some of you heard Heather, and have Heather frame up a little bit for us um, this current generation of kids. If you weren't in Heather's session yesterday when her um, podcast comes out, I want to encourage you to give it a listen because it's understanding generations and how we think different. And so, like, I, I'm, a, I'm a papa. I have a four-year-old grandson, a one-year-old granddaughter, and a seven-month-old grandson. And um, as much as I'm going to commit and already have invested a lot to relate to them well, I also have to understand how they naturally think. And um, like for my grandson, Baron, since he was born since 2010, it means he will never know a world without apps. Like when Baron was one and a half, he took my phone and for the first time I saw him doing this. And I looked at Cheryl, I said, he's just going like this. And then when Cheryl can't find something, he's four, can't find something, he says, Nana, I know where it is. And it's like, it's like they were born with the ability to do this. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so, um, so I'm going to have Heather just help us as we talk about you know, children. And the, the, we're targeting you know, today kind of up to that 12-year-old. All right, that's kind of what we're thinking. It's maybe up to about the age of 12 before they get to be teenagers. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. And at the end today, I want to share with you something that as an organization we're doing to um, help us disciple children. It's, not, it's something that's not out yet. It won't be out probably till maybe upwards of a year or, or over. It could be, it'll either be the fall of next or maybe January of 2020. But we're working on it. And I want to show you, we just received our first of 48 animations. And I want to show it to you. So you can see how we're trying to use animation to communicate some things with kids. And um, so we'll get to that at the end. That's what Darren was patiently waiting for me to get to over there. So let's pray, shall we? Lord, we recognize that you are a God of the generations. And that you are a God who sent your son, and he spent time with children. And he made sure the disciples who were probably thinking of adult things, and kids, Jesus, can't you see Jesus is busy right now? And Jesus, you spoke to them and said, let them come to me. Let them come. And Lord, I see the way that you interacted with kids. I can imagine you rolling on the ground and laughter and children were drawn to you. And we recognize children don't seem to be always drawn to everybody, but there's certain people who are willing to take time with them that they're drawn to. And so, Lord, we would ask that even in this hour together, 
you would allow our hearts to be such that we would want little children to want to come to us. Whether they're our grandchildren or our children, or we're a children's worker in our church, or we're a teacher, or we want kids to be drawn to us that we might relate well to them and impart the things of Jesus. So Lord, we recognize we're talking big stuff here. It's people who are gonna run the planet when we're in heaven. And you're giving us an opportunity to shape them now. That their generation, as it's been said before, can stand on our shoulders and reach higher and further for the kingdom. So Lord, we talk about this today with joy, but also with soberness of heart, realizing because we haven't discipled well our nation's in the condition it is right now. And we know, Lord, that there can also be the truth that as we disciple the next generation coming up, that it can change our nation as well. So, Lord, give us hope. Give us joy as we talk about this topic today in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to begin with a story. So my background, when I was I graduated from high school at 18, uh, I left the state of Minnesota, which was part of my roots, and um, went to join Youth with a Mission. Are any of you familiar with YWAM? So any of you former YWAMers? Volunteer. Volunteer, anybody else? Okay. So it's the largest missions organization in the world, and I chose a just a great place to go, Hawaii. And I had been there before, and the founder of YWAM, Lauren Cunningham, invited me. He said, would you come? Why don't you come here? So I graduated from high school. I went to Kona and um, was there for seven years. And I led um, our campus ministry where we'd go on the high school campuses on the Big Island of Hawaii and minister to high school kids. So I still have 40-year friendships there that I go visit and uh, love the Hawaiian people. And so one of the Christmases, I was probably about 20, maybe 21, it was before Cheryl and I were uh, engaged and married. I remember that. And uh, the leader of a, a ministry we had there called King's Kids. King's Kids is a ministry of children, pretty much ages about five years of age to 18, that was like a um, song, singing, dance troupe. And they had colorful Hawaiian kind of outfits on, and they would go into schools, and they would go into all kinds of settings and do their thing. And, well, Dale, the the guy who was the founder and head of it, we were friends and he came to me and said, hey, um, I wanna split the team in two and I'm gonna keep a team that's gonna stay here on the Kona side. Would you take this team and go to Hilo? Which is about, a, at the time, a two hour drive. It's a little shorter now because they've added a road, but um, about a two hour drive. And at the hotel there, the, the Hilo Lagoon, a friend of ours was one of the extended managers of it and they said they just want the kids to do Christmas carols like in the in the lobby, but you know, it, of course it's Hawaii, so you just have kind of the roof and the air's blowing through, you know, there's no walls. And so we're in the lobby and the kids are doing their Christmas thing and this was the boom box era. And so all we had to do is take the boom box, drop the cassette in and bada bing, you had a show going on, you know? So we're doing this thing in the lobby and, and you know, about 45 minutes to an hour's worth and take a break and they do another segment. Well, towards the end of it, I felt a tap on my shoulder and I turned around and it was a local Hawaiian guy and he introduced himself and he said, are these, are you responsible for these kids? I said, yeah. I said, they're the king. I told him what they, who they were, what they did. And he said, hey, I'd like to um, just say thank you to them. I said, oh, okay. I said, do you have something in mind? He said, yeah. He said, so I run the, the nightclub next door. Now, now, all these kids on King's Kids, their parents are missionaries with YWAM. And I, now I'm kind of going, where's this guy going with this? And he said, he said, so when they're done, I'd like to invite them into the nightclub. 
and sit in the back. I'll have a table set up where they can just have a Coke and they could watch the show. And so I, of course, did the next question. So what's the show, you know? <laughs> and, and it's a guy named Rodney Arias, kind of a Don Ho kind of guy. This was, you know, the area where, era where, you know, the shirts were here in the gold chain. And, hey, you know, is that, it was that. So he said, so Rodney does clean songs and all that kind of thing. And he said, I just want to say that. And he was really excited. So I thought, okay, I better, and I'm weighing, what are moms and dads going to say, you know? And I said, okay, we'll come. So we're all done. I told the kids, hey, there's a man that has, and I, I don't think I called it the nightclub, but he has a, a place over here that he does shows, and people come in and watch the shows, and he invited us to go. Well, of course, the older ones are like, well, what's going on? You know, and the younger ones are like, yeah, I get a Coke. You know? <laughs> so we, we go walking, and there was about 12 to 15 of us. We go walking in, and we just sit down in the back, and the, hey, you know, the show's going on. And, and the environment is you have the stage, and then you have the bar, kind of like this in front of the stage, and then you had all the chairs here, and then in the back was our table. It was about as wide as this room, about this size, actually. And so the bar is kind of right here, and so we're just sitting back there, and we're, you know, just drinking the Cokes and, you know, kind of Rodney's songs, and, and uh, one of the little Tongan girls, five or six years of age, Mr. Dave, yeah, sweetheart, what's going on? She said, Jesus just spoke to me. What did he say? He said, we're supposed to be on that stage. And so that, that's not a foreign thing to these kids because of how they've been discipled. And so I went to, I said, okay, just a minute. And I went to the manager and said, hey, we're just all going to step out for a minute. We just need to talk as a team. And then we'll be right back. I said, okay, no worries. So I just went like this to the team. They didn't know what was going on. So they, we all went outside in the parking lot. And, and I just said to her, I said, hey, why don't you tell everybody you know, so think of, again, a group of a dozen to fif maybe 15, and you have a mixture of age from her. She was like one of the youngest at five or six to 18. I said, why don't you tell them what you felt like the Lord showed you? She said, she said I felt like the Lord said we're supposed to be on that stage. And so the kids were all kind of like, okay. Nobody, they all realized, hey, the Lord can do stuff. So I said, why don't we just pray? And so we prayed, then they prayed for me so that I would have favor. And so then we walk in, and I said, okay, you guys just go sit down, and I'll go talk to the manager. So the kids all go sit down, and uh, I go up to the manager and, and just say, hey, I just want to say thank you again for being kind to the kids. They really appreciate it. I appreciate it. And, and I said, and by the way, you know, if you want the kids to do anything, and he said, hey, you know what, Rodney's done. This is his last song. He's taking Could the kids do something now? I said, matter of fact, they'd love to. And so Rodney's done, and the kids all get up there. And they just think it's, it's pretty amazing because as they stick the, um, it's not the boom box, it's the actual speakers. And when they stick their cassette in, the lights kind of match the rhythm. The kids are all kind of going, this is awesome, you know, as they're doing their dancing and they're singing. And, and they're just singing some Christmas songs, some, some of the songs that they had been singing in places like Russia and China that summer. And then Vicky and Beth are there. And of course, the, you know, the bar here, they're all like, you know, and Vicky and Beth, who were like juniors in high school, and they, I was their youth pastor. So I said, hey, Vicky and Beth, come here. And what did you guys do this summer? And they were like, we smuggled, smuggled Bibles into China. And you know, all the people are <laughs> So tell me about that. Like, and they just shared their story, just unapologetically. And, and so I said, Vicki, Beth, how does this relate to Christmas? Well, you know, Jesus is really the story of Christmas. And they just, without it being challenging, but just laid the gospel out. Yeah. And we spent about 20 minutes on that stage. And as we're walking off, there's Rodney, who's just impacted, saying to each child, thank you.
thank you. And I left that, that night realizing how if you can disciple children to hear God. And for many of us, we don't think that way. And we have to realize when you look at the scriptures, there was numerous times God used children and youth. And the thing that we have to realize about children is there's not as many filters for them to get through. And so I wanted just to start with that story because I don't know what your experience has been, but I, I've had lots of experiences like that with kids where we've been in outreach settings and I've learned that when they say, Mr. Dave, I think the Lord showed me something to not just go, yeah, go write it down. We'll talk about it later to realize I better pay attention right now. And I want to ask you, do you have that attentiveness to children or do you view them as the minor leaguers of Christianity? Because if the spirit of God lives in them, they're not minor leaguers. They're major leaguers with us. They might not be the mature major leaguers, but the spirit of God, the capacity of the spirit of God in them is just as dynamic as they are in adults. That's something we have to get a hold of. Otherwise, you won't look at children like Jesus does. Are you tracking with me? And that's something that we have to understand. So if you can disciple them earlier, guess how much farther along they could possibly be. All right. So, Rachel, why don't you come up? So this is my friend Rachel, and Rachel is our children's ministry director at our church, Grace Chapel, which is just about 15, 20 minutes from here. Grace, Grace is a church of about close to 5,500 to 6,000 people. It's a congregation that is committed to the gospel being preached, is committed to getting people into small groups so they can grow in their faith and be discipled. I help there about 10 to 12 hours a week uh, working with our men. So we have about 2,200 to 2,500 guys at our church. And then I pinch it in the pulpit from time to time when our pastor's gone. And so Rachel has been at Grace Chapel now for... 10 years? 11. 11 years. And has worked in our children's ministry a lot of that time. And then over the last year or so has become our uh, director for children's ministry. And so as somebody that does this day in and day out, I wanted just to have a little conversation with her. So Rachel, like when you hear that story that I just, you know, shared, like what kind of things go off in your heart and mind when you hear stuff like that? Well, I hear um, the story, and, and I think a lot of times of the, some of the stories that I've personally experienced with kids in our own ministry, and it always amazes me uh, to the level of um, how they hear from God and how they're excited to share that with others. They're not filtered in that, and it's so pure. And so um, we just recently... Um, I had a story last Sunday um, where during our worship time, a child, um, he was nine, um, his name is Ben, and he wanted to come up on stage. And that's not a normal occurrence for us, um, but he really felt like the Lord was telling him to share um, about how he accepted uh, Jesus into his life the night before. And he did it um, when he was in his big sister's um, room listening to a worship song. And he did it all on his own without his mom there, without a sister there, without a small group leader there. He did it on his own. He said he heard Jesus ask him to accept me now. And the funny thing is, um, he, he didn't even tell his mom or dad at that point. <laughs> 
he just went to bed. <laughs> and he came in the next morning, and he was so excited to tell Mr. Stephen, who was his small group leader, and to get up on stage and to share that with, with all of um, his peers. Um, what that did, though, was spurred someone else to come up, another child to come up and share their testimony. That's not something we typically will do. And so that was just one of those moments where the Holy Spirit was just present. And um, I'm so grateful for our team and our worship leader who allowed that to happen. That's awesome. Yeah. So again, I want to I want to encourage you. I hope you leave here viewing children differently. They are not minor leaguers. They're less mature, but they're not minor leaguers because the same spirit that lives in them lives in us. And we have to remember that, okay? So, Rachel, tell us a little bit about the kinds of things that you do as it relates to discipling and pouring into kids through what you do at Grace. Well, let me back up a little bit. Yeah. Let me just kind of uh, share and just... Um, my personal experience and my heart for children's ministry really was born from personal experience as a follower of Jesus and, of course, uh, being a mom, a mom of three kids. And, and with that and seeing the challenges that my kids were facing out in the world, it just really grew into a passion to see kids, all kids, have a real authentic faith um, and a growing relationship with Jesus. Um, my own journey with um, Jesus started in um, my early 30s, and already at that time, my kids were in elementary, middle school, and high school. So they were all in three different phases and had ex was experiencing life not as a believer. Um, so like all parents, regardless of um, our race, maybe our economic status, our marital status, um, and whether we're a believer or not a believer, we all, with a few exceptions, have that desire um, and to see our kids do well, and we want what's best for them. And so as ministry leaders, I feel like that's something really important for us to keep in the back of our mind, is that parents and grandparents, whoever's discipling kids, they really do want to see uh, kids succeed and what's what's best for them. So... Um, I wanted to kind of talk about some statistics and just some things that we're seeing in this generation. I think most of us have heard um, some of those statistics of uh, 50 to 80% of our kids are students. It depends upon whose research you quote. But they're leaving their faith as um, once they leave high school. Um, some uh, people will argue that that's because their faith hasn't really been tested yet. And others, um, they will say that it's because they haven't really experienced opportunities uh, to be the church, that their faith um, wasn't put into motion. Um, they, they didn't have opportunities to serve. And then there were um, others who believed that um, it's because kids don't really have a safe place uh, to process like the doubts from all that accumulated knowledge over the years. I'm in that camp where I kind of believe it's a combination of all three of those things. So I think right now what we're seeing too um, are parents. Um, they recognize, and we're talking about church-going parents, 
parents. They recognize that their role is the primary spiritual influencer of their kids' faith, but what we're seeing is that they really don't know how. They're busy and they've got a lot going on. And I'm going to tell you, that's kind of where I can relate because when I became a Christian, when I became a follower of Jesus, and where my kids were, I didn't know how to do that either. I actually thought I was winning because I got my kids to church on Sunday. I didn't know what that meant. I mean, we all need wins as a parent, so I was taking that, <laughs> okay? Um, recently, though, um, there is a study that um, I read, and it was 51% of church-going families of parents don't recognize what the Great Commission is. 51%. 25% of them say, I've heard of that, but I'm not really sure what that means. And then 6% say, I've never heard of that before. That, that's very sobering when we have those kind of facts. So um, I think we talk about it all the time as, as ministry leaders, uh, Deuteronomy 6. Um, you know, parents, you're, you know, to train up your kids when, when they rise in the morning and at night, the everyday normal rhythm of life. But if we back up one verse to verse 6, it's they got to have it in their own heart first. The mom and dad do. Yes. Or parents, whoever's raising the children. So I think that those statistics right there, all of that does point to the growing need of discipleship. Um, So what what I kind of say sometimes is we can load kids up with biblical truth on Sunday, But if they can't apply it to their life on Monday or remember it on Wednesday, all we did was uh, Sunday programming. And so kids need to have an everyday authentic faith, one that's going to stand. And they need to know who God is, his character, his attributes, how to hear his voice, what their purpose, their identity. So I think all of those things right now are pointing to what we're talking about today in that discipleship. Yeah. Yeah. Again, if you haven't been in some of the things we've been talking about here in the last few sessions, we've, we've mentioned repeatedly the necessity of knowing the character of God. In other words, not just stopping at the Bible but going into the Bible to know what God's character is like. Because how, how is a child supposed to give his life to somebody he doesn't trust or she doesn't trust? Which means you need to know God's character. He's a shepherd. He's just and he's kind. Even when the world is not. Have you noticed the world isn't very just? But God is. He is. And, and God wants us to be able to know his character and he wants us to model that for our children. And it begins with mom and dad, doesn't it? Mom and dad modeling things for their kids. Or in my case, as a papa, modeling it for my grandchildren. Modeling what Jesus looks like and how Jesus would respond and how Jesus would act and how, what Jesus would do in various situations. And so when you think about children, again, I want to push you and challenge you. Where do you have them? What box do you have kids in? Are they like, hey, they're the minor leaguers and one day they can play on the field? Or are they, hey, the spirit of God lives in them. Let's activate that now in their lives while we mature them and we grow them up. 
Okay. Have you ever have you ever seen children in like a nursing home? You know, whether it's just somebody that's tagging along with you or like in our case, we'd take kids' ministries into nursing. I mean, do you realize how how they just, like the, the people there in the nursing home, they just open up and they receive and the ministry of Jesus is flowing through kids. Okay? We have to realize that there are some doors open to children much faster than there are to adults. But if you, if you don't view it through the lens of discipling kids in the things of God, then they just get reduced to, well, they went, they went to Sunday school. And like Rachel's saying, if it's life application isn't happening in their daily lives, like how does what you learn there apply here? And they're hearing it reinforced by their parents, you know, or guardian, whoever it might be with them. It, it just doesn't always translate, okay? So Rachel, what do you, what do you see in, in what you're doing with kids as some of the most fruitful things, like things that, that you're doing in, in ministry where you're seeing like the child get up Sunday and say, like, what are the kinds of things that tend to lead towards real fruitfulness in their lives? Well, I think that starts at home, obviously. Um, combining our influence as a church and combining that with the parents' influence, that's really going to give us that greater impact. And so... Um, at church on Sundays um, or midweek programming, um, we have age-appropriate programming uh, specific to whatever phase um, kids are in. Uh, I think that's pretty standard across the board for most churches. Um, but we, we've, we're kind of trying to take it to the next level as far as recognizing and understanding each phase that kids are in and what is relevant uh, really to that particular phase. Um, and kids, they like to learn in, in fun ways, but we have to remember that kids are concrete learners. They, they think like scientists. Um, they like to um, participate in activities that uh, provoke discovery. Uh, you can almost see a kids um, in their eyes, the light bulb kind of go off when they when they learn something and that's really cool when you're the one teaching it <laughs> it kind of encourages you as well but they are um, concrete learners one thing though that I would love to encourage our um, our ministry leaders um, in this room um, what I find is that a lot of times people will have ideas and suggestions, recommendations for you. And, and, and I love that. I, I encourage that, welcome that. But we are advocates on behalf of our kids. And our world right now wants our kids to grow up much faster than what uh, they really need to be doing. And a lot of times um, I, I see that um, adults, well-meaning, loving adults, they do have recommendations that will turn our kids' programming more into adult programming. And uh, I, I feel like I'm an advocate to keep our kids' programming kids programming, what's appropriate for them. So if you know kids and, and whatever phase that they're in, I think that's very appropriate for you. Um, another thing that we do um, is in the context of small groups. Uh, we, on Sunday, model a large group, small group 
uh, format um, in our curriculum, but it's really what we do um, in our small group in the, in the context of a relationship is what matters the most. Um, it is our goal uh, to, to have every kid um, that attends regularly paired up and connected with a consistent um, leader. I think that's when um, you can really go deeper and disciple. Yeah. So, hey, Heather, why don't you make your way up here? So I, I just want you to think about that for a minute, that, you know, we've talked about how discipleship has to do with relationships and, you know, our whole theme of this you know, event is revolving around that. And, you know, do you have relationship with kids? Just a question I want to ask you, you know? I don't have, I would not call my relationship with Ben, who is Darren and Sonia's son, a discipling relationship, but I would call it a discipling influence. Would you? Darren and Sonia, would you call it discipling influence? Yeah. And, you know, because I'm not with Ben all the time, but there's times when I'm with him, it's really fun for me. I've known him since he was a little guy. And, and my name, by the way, to Ben is not, it's not Dave, it's not Mr. Dave, it's not Mr. Beering, it's Boom Shakalaka. Because when he was a little boy and he stayed at my house and Darren and Sonia had an anniversary and they went off and so Cheryl and I spent the night with Ben, he was at our house, and we were having a pillow fight and every time I would hit him hard, I'd go boom, shakalaka. So ever since then, you know, and so literally when I'm at his home, he won't say, and he wants my attention, he won't say, hey, Mr. Dave, he'll say, hey, boom, shakalaka. It's like it's my name. So I told Darren and Sonia at some point we're going to need to switch to Dave because I'm going to be embarrassed for him when he's 17. Hey, this is my friend, uh, boom, shakalaka. You know? <laughs> but that'll come in its time. But because of that relationship, I notice... I noticed, like, even we had our board meeting at their home the last couple days here, and Ben is not afraid to just, when he comes and sees me, to just kind of come and do this with his hands. You know, or, or there's times if I'm sitting where he'll ha actually come and still sit on my lap. He's a 10-year-old boy. But I've built a relational thing with him, and I've told Darren and Sonia, I want to be able to, you know, have, like if Ben has, and the same thing with Josh, who's our godson. So we're, we love their two kids. But when we're at their home, I want there to be the fun, the play ball, all that kind of, but I want to be able to be there so that they also know as they get older, there's another voice, you know, and another set of ears that can listen. But it, it only comes if you have relationship. So right now for me, the most valuable thing is I know I've got relationship with Ben and relationship with Josh. And it doesn't mean they come to Pastor Dave with their, they don't know me as Pastor Dave, they know me as Boom Shakalaka. <laughs> And, but, but that's, is that not the first step? If you don't have a relationship, kids will not hear you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. you. You know, right, that, and again, just hear what I'm saying here. God gives positional authority, so let me say that. But do you understand that positional authority is actually the weakest yeah. level of authority? Relational authority is how Jesus operated. Mm -hmm. And when you're ministering to kids, you have to have relational authority, which means you have to get at their level and meet them where they are. And if you don't do that, it just ain't going to happen. So guess what? I love it because it means I have to humble myself. It means I have to, and, and I like that. I like, like I tell Cheryl, like Baron, my grandson, he came to my office for the first time this summer because we're usually at the house playing and all that. And I told Cheryl, I said, you're with Baron today? I was a little jealous. You're with Baron? Hey, uh, why don't you bring him over to the office? He hasn't seen it. We'll have lunch here. And he said, okay. So she brings him over. So Baron knows that traveling is part of my life. 
And so like when he sees a Southwest plane and he it flies over his home where he lives in Nashville once in a while, like if he knows it's around the time, Ryan might say, hey, that might be Papa's plane. You know, so this is what he knows. I go to work by flying. So he comes to my office and I said, this is my office where I work. And he looks at me. My office is 12 minutes away from my home. So Papa, is this where you fly to? <laughs> but see, see how kids, and I just love that because it, it reminds me of wonder, of simplicity. And you guys, sometimes we've gotten so complicated in paying the bills and cleaning up the dog's pee and being on time. We forget to be childlike. And I think there was somebody who we follow that said, <laughs> right? And so just as we're talking about this with children, it's really important. And, I, and I, I guess a practical challenge I have for you is how's your relating to children? And I find that when people relate well to children, children come to them. If they don't wait, rate, relate well, children won't disrespect them, but they just don't naturally come to them. But if you relate well to kids, kids come to you. That was Jesus. Let the little children come. Well, they were stopping them, which meant they wanted to come. No, no, no. Can't you see he's laying hands on the sick right now? You know, and they stop and Jesus said, no, no, let him come. I want them to see what I'm doing. I'm going to look forward to watching those, you know, DVRs in heaven about Jesus with kids. <laughs> so Heather, just help Rachel and I hear you. One of the specialties that you have in your own studying and relating is some generational thinking. So if I remember correctly from yesterday, Gen Z, 1995 to 2010, so if you weren't here yesterday, think about that. So that would be like the oldest, then would be 23. And the youngest would be like Ben's age. Okay? And Josh is on the border. All right? And then, is it gen alpha. alpha Generation or Generation Alpha? Generation Alpha is 2010 and on. So my grandkids are Generation Alpha. So help Rachel and I on this. So if we're ministering to kids that are, let's just say, you know, that mid-teen and under, like what are things that we need to know about them? Give us a few things on that. Um, so Generation Z, Generation Alpha are growing up in an entirely different time than we did. And I think a lot of times when we talk discipleship, especially when we talk cross-cultural, we're thinking about how do we communicate in their language? How do we communicate in their culture and their customs? We don't think the same way when we're thinking kids. Now, there are certain things that are true of every child in every generation of every age. It's just how 10-year-olds think. But there are also things generationally that make a 10-year-old living right now different than the 10-year-old that was huddled around the television watching I Love Lucy with their parents. It's a totally different generation. So some things for us to just think about with both Generation Z and Generation Alpha. On demand is their life. They can watch anything, anywhere, anytime. It's the first generation to have the internet in their pocket. So they have immediate access to information, um, any information they want. Where we're finding an increasing gap is between information and wisdom. Generations prior to these generations have always had to go to an adult to learn how to do something new. How do I put gas in the car? How do I change the tire? How do I, you know, scramble an egg? How do I sew a button on a coat? They had to go to someone in the older generation to ask, how do I do this? They just Google it now. YouTube is their primary teacher. 
And so what happens is there's this, this rift between generations, uh, at least in the way that they used to interact with one another. Um, obviously, social media is a huge influence. Most kids that are being born today have a digital footprint before they even know what that means. Uh, I have friends that are forming Facebook pages, Instagram accounts, Twitter accounts for their children. Now, some of that is a protective measure. They want to protect that for their child until they're of age to be able to take it responsibly. But they have a digital footprint before they even know it. Many of them are internet celebrities before they have any idea what that term even means. I actually, as a parent, I, I try to be more and more mindful of what I post. And I want to, before I post a picture of Sawyer, I try to imagine what I want my mom to have posted that picture of me or that video of me. Um, so social media is overwhelming. Just to kind of frame up Alpha a little bit too, uh, and again, Generation Alpha is uh, children born 2010, and sociologists, futurists think it'll probably be a generation that lasts till about 2025. Um, they will be uh, the most diverse generation that's ever lived. They will not be majority white. Um, their parental influences are largely millennials. You know how we like to pick on millennials? We pick on them, we provoke them, we prod them, we sigh and roll our eyes at millennials. They are the parents of Generation Alpha. And I, what I love about millennials is they're incredibly hopeful, they're incredibly optimistic, and they're incredibly relational. And their obsession with their children is borderline crazy. They love their kids, and so it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Um, and then we, we can make some predictions about them based on the technology. Generation Alpha was born the year the iPad was released. They were born with internet in their hands. So boomers learned to use computers at work. Generation X learned to use computers in high school. Uh, the millennial learned to use them in elementary school. Generation Z kind of learned them at home. Alpha will not know a day without it. They will not know a day without apps. Um, some few, this is kind of fun. I don't know how this actually helps us, but I like talking about it because I, I, it blows my brain. Uh, some futurists actually believe, though, that Generation Alpha will not use iPhones, that the idea of smartphones will be archaic, ancient technology, that doing this to look for something is archaic because we will have some sort of technology embedded in our phones, embedded somewhere else, that does it for us. If you can imagine a minute, how many of you have like an Alexa in your house? Okay, Alexa on steroids, Alexa with you all the time, Alexa something, some technology like that that is able to schedule your meetings, to remind you of the conversations you've had, to look up the thing that you ordinarily would have Googled like this. So on one hand, it, Generation Alpha might be a generation that looks up and looks in the eyes of people more than Millennials and Generation Z did, or it could be a generation that begins to develop relational connections with entities without a soul. And we just don't know what that's gonna be yet. And that's why teaching on the identity of Christ, your identity in God is gonna be so important for future generations. I can go on about this stuff forever, so I'm just gonna stop there and we can, <laughs> we can lean in where it might be most helpful. Yeah, so again, you may have just, like our assumption is, right, it's a kid. I was a kid once. And we just kind of assume that that kid is going to be like us when we were little. 
And the assumption that we have to, or the thing we have to do is kind of pop that bubble and realize not true because there's so many other influences in their lives. And so how do we relate to children in such a way that they want to hear from us? And so relationship is a huge piece. Like Heather, when you, when you think about like Sawyer, who's now four? Three. Three and a half. So she's got a three and a half year old daughter and I have a four year old grandson. And so when we think of Sawyer and Baron, like what do you think are keys to discipling that age group. So let's say, let's say that from birth to 12. Like what are key things? Yeah. I, I mean, again, the relational piece, that's just evergreen. And I think it's because it's the way of Jesus. When I'm hearing Dave talk about, um, you know, how he is related to kids, immediately in my mind, I go back to a story about a, a guy by the name of Mike Matthews. He is a pastor. I never knew him as a pastor. He lived in another state. He was a friend of my parents. But he was always the all-time quarterback for the neighborhood kids pickup football game when he was in town. And he would set me up for a touchdown in the end zone every time. Granted, I'm pretty sure he was doing that for every kid, but for me, I thought I was special. He wasn't doing anything other than what he would have normally done. He was in the lane that was comfortable for him, but that formed a relationship. It formed a level of trust. I think trust. I don't know if there's a word I can emphasize more than that. Building trust with kids. And it's a relationship that does that. I can't think of a major life decision that I have made without calling Mike Matthews on the phone. Saying, hey, what do you think of what you know of me? What would you guide me in? What would you encourage me in? Will you pray with me? So relationship and especially the trust element, I think, is absolutely critical. Um, I think that... um, I think, and it goes along with that relationship, just your presence. I think being a safe place for kids to process stuff. One of the things, I I saw a documentary recently on um, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And there's an episode where one of the puppets is interacting with one of the adults. And out of nowhere, the puppet just asks, could you tell me what assassination means? And when I was at Sundance Festival watching this film, and everybody kind of gasps in the audience. We probably all saw that episode. But kids are asking very real, raw questions. And if we just come to them with a song and a dance and entertainment, we're missing it. They're asking very real questions. And if we as a church, imagine if the church was the safest place to come with hard questions. What if, the ch- what if a kid knows my doubts about Jesus, my doubts about the Bible, my doubts about how there could be a good God if there are bad things happening in the world. What if the church was the most welcoming place to receive that and not some thing online? Or if if they're wondering, I'm I'm in a boy's body, but I feel like a girl. Absolutely, absolutely. We if the church was the safest place for a kid to come and say, I don't know what gender I really am. I don't know who I'm really attracted to. What if the church was the safest place for that conversation to have? It would. I believe it would just change the game. What if the church, and I said this yesterday, and and I'll say it and then I'll caveat it, but what if the church was the place where a little girl felt like that's the most empowering place on the planet? 
that in every other sector of my life, there's something about my gender that says, no, no, not good enough, not strong enough, not fast enough, not smart enough. But when I go to church, there I can be and do anything. And look, I know we come from different theological perspectives and there are different ways to interpret the scripture on that. And I honor that and I respect that. But I believe that wherever our theology is, we can go further than where we normally are. So to the extent your theology will allow you, make the church a place where little girls know, here is not only where I'm safe, but where I'm empowered. Um, So yeah. Yeah. So you guys, again, part of our role in this is to just push your thinking a bit. Okay. It's just to push you to think a little bit. And because, and again, I'm not trying to be Dave the dramatic here, but I'm just trying to say there's generations that are depending on us getting this. There just are, you know, there's generations depending on us and we have got to look ahead. Like one of the One of the marks of a disciple maker is that you're always looking 10, 20, 50 years ahead. A disciple maker just just doesn't look here. You see well beyond because discipling is one of those things that it's passed on, it's passed on, it's passed on, and it may take several generations to execute change. So you're always looking at the longer win, not just the short-term thing, which goes very counter to our culture. Mm -hmm. You have to look at the long view. Would it not be awesome that the Church of Jesus is influencing society once again like it once did? Because we're sowing into these young ones, see? But there's a deliberateness to it. There's an intentionality to it. And all starts with just you and me. I know you might not be a children's director like Rachel, but you're a parent, you're a grandparent, you're a Sunday school worker for a couple weeks during the summer when people are taking, you know, whatever it is. There's kids in your life, and it starts with you. And I want to encourage you, are, are, do you, do you find yourself comfortable with children that you can relate to them? Because that's where it starts. And you know, it's not that hard to relate to a kid. Just think about when you were a kid. How did people relate to you? You know, I just, when we were in Gatlinburg on vacation this summer, we, were, we just wanted a little time in the mountains where it was cooler. And Cheryl and I were walking around. If you've ever been to Gatlinburg, you know, it's just kind of like all kinds of stuff. And, um, and there was a little magic shop, you know, and so I bought something for Baron, you know, it's, it's just all rigged, but you know, you look at how this is, just the one. And I said, shall I show you? Yes. Show me Baba. So I'm showing him and then he can go to his mom and dad. He's Mr. Magician, you know, (laughs) and, and just, but again, just that simple wonder. Don't, don't lose that. Mm -hmm. Just don't lose that. Don't become so hardcore that you can't you know, imagine like a child and, and be like a child and relate like a child because that's the starting point of discipling them. Mm-hmm. You have to have a relationship. Look, just because you're their parents, you have a grace on your life to pour into them. But imagine if you didn't do it just because you were the parent, positional mm-hmm. authority. You did it because there was relational authority. Yeah. Yeah. Your kids yeah. love you. They relate mm-hmm. to you. You can still do that, you know, and be the parent. Okay? Mm-hmm. I'm not talking about just being their bud and not being a parent, you're called to be a parent, not their friend first. Mm-hmm. But do you be a parent, but are you relating to them as a parent? But you're still having a relationship with them. That's important. Okay, now let me just say, pause a minute. If you're hearing all this and you're going, I did this so poorly. Okay, here's where we need to go with that. Sometime before you go to bed tonight, just say, Jesus, 
I saw something today that I didn't really realize until now, and I own it. And I repent that I maybe wasn't everything I was meant to be. I mean, every parent can say, I wish I could have a redo. So let's put that one aside. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where you realize, I just told my kids what to do, and they never listened. Now they don't follow Jesus because I didn't tell them. Maybe it's because we didn't relate well with them. Okay? So just go to the Lord and say, Lord, before I go to sleep tonight, forgive me for that. And I'm asking you to give me a second opportunity. And do you know that I have testimonies of people who had poor relationship with their kids, but because their hearts got changed... And they humbled themselves and they just said, son, daughter, kids, I just want you to know I've seen something and I need to ask you to forgive me. Didn't turn it around right away because sometimes they needed to express their anger, how hurt they were. But over time and the consistency, they now have a relationship with their child as an adult. That's the hope of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't want anybody leaving here thinking, oh, I screwed up and now they're, mm-mm. You do what you need to do in your heart before the Lord and watch what God can do. Amen? So I, I don't want anybody leaving flogging yourself, okay? So let me dismiss the two of you. Can you say thank you to Rachel and Heather? And, you know, talk to Rachel, talk to Heather. They both have great insights in this regard. So I, I want to just tell you something that we're doing. We've got about 10, 15 minutes here left. So um, about 10 years ago, I started having people like Rachel, children's workers, coming to me when we, when we released this. This is, if you, if you haven't been in the session, this is our tool that we use. It's called the Discipleship Journey. And it's a one-year journey uh, with about a dozen topics that you take people through. And uh, we ask for about two hours a week, an hour on your own in the Word, and an hour um, in a small group where you ask the question, what did the Lord show you and how are you going to obey this in your life? And again, obeying Jesus out of love, not some Nazi step, obedience to Jesus, but because you actually love him. Isn't that a concept? All right. So about 10 years ago, parents were going through this and they said, so when are you coming out with a kid's edition? And I said, I don't know. You know, I'm not like Rachel, that this is my bullseye, you know? So I said, once I have some children's ministry people that are willing to come alongside me, well, where there's a time or two that we were thinking about it because a few people, and I said, well, would you like, and it never happened. Well, summer of 2015, three and a half years ago, we are doing one of our events called D4. D4 is an event we go into churches and we, that it can just be for a church or like last uh, week in Hollister, California for a region. And you invite people to come and we ignite on a Friday night and Saturday, ignite people into disciple making and we equip them how to do it. So literally, by the time you're done, you could begin to go out and reproduce Jesus and others. If you're interested in that, let us know. We'd love to come to your area and do a D4. So we were doing D4 in Cleveland, and a, a lady who I had not met came up to me. I knew her husband. He was a pastor. And she said, Dave, sometime to, uh, the next couple days while you're doing a D4, could I please have lunch with you, me and my husband? I said, well, sure. So we sit down and I'm blown away because she says, I've been taking discipleship journey and as we're going through it as adults, I've been simplifying it for children. I said, like, what do you mean? She started to tell me. And she said, Dave, and she's a principal of a school, Christian school, mixed race school. She said, I have 10 and 11 year olds discipling six and seven year olds. I said, what do you mean? And, and she said, well, and she pulled out pieces from this material, showed me how she simplified it, and, she, and how she has, you know, think about who six and seven-year-olds look up to. 10 and 12-year-olds. 
right? So she said, so what I did is I had those 10 and 11 year olds, because their words are big in their ears, is to begin to have them shape them. And so she said, as we walked it through with 10 and 11 year olds, we said, because she looked at me and said, isn't one of your goals, Dave, to raise up disciple makers? I said, yeah. She said, well, let's start earlier. So Sonia was there and filmed her, you know, doing this with some of the kids. And, and so we had a conversation and, and that July conversation led to some prayer over the rest of the year of God, are you in this? Is this, is this, is this a good idea? Is this your idea? We felt like it was the Lord. So beginning in 2016, we started working on this. We had some people help us. And, and we've taken this manual now for adults, and we've simplified in 48, 48 lessons. They're each on just two pages. And the topics are, how do I get to know God? How do I walk in godly relationships? And again, they're all kid, kid language. This is not the language that we're using for kids, but for you. Um, What's the grace of God? What's sin and repentance? What's forgiveness? What's spiritual warfare? Because you know that if the enemy can take out a child early in their thinking, he knows he's won the day. How do I hear the voice of God? Things like that. And so the manual has now been completed. And we are in the process of animation. Um, and so we were two weeks in a studio here. It's kind of a good place to find a studio. So Lauren Johnson, who was in our last session, Lauren's studio, we, we spent two weeks with a 22-year-old and a 10-year-old in a studio doing 48 audios, about two and a half to three minutes, three and a half minutes long. And we have a script writer that wrote scripts. And so a discipleship journey is the name of the tool. And people who are using it, they shorten it to its abbreviation ADJ, A Discipleship Journey. And so we created two characters, AD and J. And AD is a 12-year-old girl who's Caucasian Asian. And J is a African-American Hispanic boy with a little Polynesian thrown in. <laughs> because I love Hawaii. And so, um, so we have the audios recorded, and we just received about two weeks ago now, I believe it is, our first animation. And so we brought it to show you. And so we'll crowd around over here, because we can't get it on the speaker in just a minute. But let me just give you a backdrop. So this is from chapter five, uh, the very first lesson on hearing the voice of God. And the first lesson is about how do I cultivate a hearing heart? Okay, how do I cultivate a heart where I'm open to hear that I'm not so distracted by things? Okay, so that's the backdrop of where the lesson will go. And so this is, this is the piece. So do we need to move people over? Or are we good with that? Okay, so just give a, so with that being the lesson, so think of being in a Sunday school. We'll just do that setting because this could be for homeschoolers parents going through discipleship journey with, you know, having their kids go through it. But just think we're at Rachel's church. Okay, and she's, this is her seven and eights together, and they're watching this to begin. A little more volume. Eighty, eighty, eighty. Wait till you hear what happened. It's amazing. You've got to hear this. You are going to freak out. Jay, stop it. I'm trying to read my book. But I'm trying to talk to you. I've got to tell you something awesome. So tell me already. So I just saw Mr. Frizzle at the park and he said he bought two brand new bikes for his grandkids. But they already just got some new bikes. So he said if we come right now, we can have the new bikes. Did I say they are brand new? 
That's great, Jay. Come on, let's go. That's great, Jay. Come on, I can't get both of the bikes by myself. You've got to come with me. Stop pulling on me, Jay. I'm trying to read. I'm at the best part of the story. Okay, 80. I'm going to Mr. Frizzles to get my new bike. Jay, where'd you get that bike? I hope you didn't take it from someone without asking. Nope, this bike belongs to me. I told you Mr. Frizzles' grandkids couldn't use them, so he wanted to give them to us. Isn't it awesome? That's incredible! That's the nicest bike I've ever seen! And there was a girl's bike too? I'm gonna go right now. Uh, 80, I wouldn't go if I were you. Why not? Because Mr. Frizzle didn't think he wanted the bike. He gave it to Sandy instead. What? But I do want it. It's too late now. Look. Yahoo! I love this bike. <laughs> Wait, that's supposed to be my bike. Jay, do something. I'm sorry, Ady. I tried everything I could to make you hear me. Nothing I did worked. You were too busy to listen. It's okay, Jay. You did try to talk to me. I was just too busy reading my book. I was distracted. My head was too filled with other things. It's not your fault, 80. Yes, it is, Jay. Each of us chooses what we fill our heads and hearts with. We choose who we listen to. I chose the book over my brother. I'm really sorry about that. I forgive you, 80. I'm sorry you didn't get your new bike. It's probably for the best. I learned a good lesson today. It's like our Sunday school lesson this week at church. Remember the story about the good seed that the farmer threw on the ground? Some of the ground was hard, some was shallow, and some was filled with weeds. The seed couldn't take root and grow. I remember the parable of the sower. That's right. I'm the ground, and today you were the sower. I was distracted by something and chose not to hear you. I crowded out your voice with my book, the same way I sometimes crowd God out with things. Sometimes kids can get so distracted doing what we want, we stop listening. Yeah, and then we miss a new bite. Or other cool things God wants to do. From now on, Jay, I'm going to be a good listener. I want to stop and listen when God or anyone else tries to talk to me. I don't want to miss any more important messages. Good idea, 80. Want to take turns riding my bike? So do you see how that, at a kid's level, isn't that awesome? And so at a kid's level, they begin to realize, like you're just dropping seeds of understanding there that not only does God want to speak to you, but you can prepare your heart for that. And how, you know, we can be so busy and so distracted that we're not listening to what maybe the Lord wants to drop into us. So we're creating little vignettes like that. Um, there's one on um, grace that I'm looking forward to seeing how they're going to create it because it's a story of Mr. Snodgrass. We didn't have extra men in the studio, so I had to be Mr. Snodgrass. And so Mr. Snodgrass is an older man who has uh, a baseball, Jay's baseball, come through his window for the fourth time. And, you know, he is up tighter than, where is that? Where's that Jay? You know? And, and so 80s like free, and Jay's in the bushes. 
an 80s like Mr. Snodgrass, like what happened? That boy for the fourth time, you know, and he's just going off on Jay and he says, he needs to pay for it. I need to punish him. And she says like, well, what do you mean? She says, well, he needs to be able to cut my grass. He needs to come and clean this mess up. He needs to pay for a new window. And he's going on and 80 says this, she's looking at Jay over in the bushes. She said, Mr. Snodgrass, is it okay if I do that for Jay? Well, he says, well, 80 girl, you didn't. He says, she says, I know I didn't, but would you let me do it? Well, I guess so. So she takes her money and pays for the window and cleans up everything. And then Jay comes to her afterwards and says, 80, you saved your $75 for your skateboard to put that towards a window. Why did you do that? And he's blown. And she just said, Jay, I felt like it's a way I could show you the grace of God. That, that it's, you get things you don't deserve. Like, is that not? I showed some of our guys at church and they said, could we watch this instead of you when we go through discipleship? <laughs> so we, I think we can make that happen. Um, but, but we're trying to create something that will be a conversation. So there's five pieces to this. So the first piece is this animation. So there'll be like three minute-ish videos like this that'll have, uh, it'll draw the kids in, but it'll have like one concept for them to get a hold of, okay? And then there's a manual that, that can be used by the teacher and the kids that they can go through. Um, the application will be driven towards application. It'll always be like, what's your one takeaway? What's your one obedience point, okay? And so the facilitator's guide, you know, will help with that. That's our third piece. Our fourth piece is we're gonna create a, probably a card a four by six, five by seven, that'll have one have the image of ADJ from that video, from AD and J on the one side, and then when you flip it over, it's that's where they're writing their application or drawing it as a six-year-old. So when they that's their take-homes. When they go home to mom and dad, like Rachel said this to me and others have said this to me, the number one frustration that children's leaders often have is the stuff they send home with their parents never gets applied. So we're gonna send that home so it's simple, and then we're gonna create, I don't know what we'll call it yet, but it'll be a, something for parents that imagine if you just go on your phone and you click an app and, or a Vimeo thing and it, it takes you to there, and it's got a one minute summary where like, say, let's say it was this one, and there's, maybe it's me, I don't know who's gonna do it yet, but if it's me, it's, hey, today or this week, with your, yeah, this week with your kids, just so you know, we showed them a video, and it was AD and J, and, it was a, and I tell them the story here about the bike. And so at the end of it, I, after maybe 30 seconds of describing, I'll say something like, um, so sitting around the table, maybe driving to school, or maybe as you're just playing a board game on the floor, share with them, you know, a time in your life where you were really distracted and you missed hearing from God, okay? Or if it's that grace lesson, where was a time in your life where someone extended grace to you that you didn't deserve? So mom and dad know that they can reinforce and so, so you've got the children's ministry and the mom and dad reinforcing discipleship in the home, okay? So we're in the process of creating those things. And um, stay in touch with us. If this is something that's of interest to you, stay in touch with us. Um, it's at least a good year out, maybe even a titch more if, if we wait till January of 2020. But we want to make sure we have all the pieces. Now, let me also just say this is a, by the way, when we're in audiences like this, I always just ask because sometimes it, it helps us. So as we're fund, funding this, we are looking for people who are tied into foundations, 
who are giving, who give to children's things that can help us. Because as you can imagine with animation, there's some expense to it. And so we're looking for people to help us fund it. Um, so if you know of anybody in a foundation or you have a door or you're in one, see me afterwards or see Darren back there and let us know that. So be praying with us, but it's, it's our heart is to help parents who are going through this that they can do it with their kids. We want to serve people like Rachel with material that they can run with and be pouring into their kids. One of the things Rachel said to me is, she said, how many lessons is it? I said, well, it's 48. So she said, great, that's like two years of material for me. And so it'll, it'll provide material for a season of time. And, and if they like it, it can be reproduced over and over as new kids come through. So we just wanted to share that with you and let you know kind of what we're up to. But we really want to see a tool for grandparents, for parents, for Sunday school leaders, Christian school leaders, homeschoolers, and as Lori, who helped us with the manual, to help 10 and 11 and 12-year-olds learn how to invest in 6 and 7-year-olds. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. That message was from LionShare's track at the National Disciple Making Forum. Make sure to download the free PDF summary from Dave Buring. It's called Process of Transformation. Download it at discipleship.org slash lionshare. You'll find dozens of other great discipleship resources at discipleship.org as well. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker. Mm-hmm.